Your listenership is so important to us. We really do hope you're enjoying the show. If you're able to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be enormously helpful in allowing us to reach more people and help them get a good night's sleep. So is following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any other podcast player that you use. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 48 to 51 of The Stories of Greece by Mary McGregor. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 48 The Battle of Artemisium While Leonidas was fighting so bravely on land, Thermostosceles was with the fleet at Artemisium. If the Persians passed this point and entered the Malayan Gulf, they would be able to land troops behind Leonidas and secure the pass of Thermopylae without difficulty. Before the Persian fleet reached Artemisium, a sudden storm arose and dashed some of the ships upon the rocks and some against each other. For three days the tempest raged, and when at length the sea grew calm, four hundred ships had been destroyed. In spite of the disaster, the Persian fleet was still large enough to alarm the Greeks. When they saw it sailing off the north of the island of Euboea, Eurybiades, the Greek admiral, wished to sail away. But the inhabitants of the island went to Thermostosceles to beg him not to let the fleet desert them. So fearful were they that they offered him thirty talents, about five thousand eight hundred pounds, if he would use his influence to persuade the other admirals to stay and protect their island. Thermostosceles readily took the money and sent eight talents, about £1,500, to Eurybiades and his colleagues to bribe them to remain in Euboea. The next night, another storm arose, and again many of the Persian ships were scattered or dashed to pieces on the rocks. But when the wind fell, the ships were repaired, and the two fleets met in battle. The struggle was fierce and long, 
But though the Persians lost a greater number of ships than did the Greeks, yet the fleet under Eurybiades was so heavily damaged that even Thermostosceles saw safety lay in retreat. At the same time, tidings reached him of the defeat of Thermopylae, and he knew that Xerxes would soon be marching to the south. The fleet must hasten home to protect their own coast, and did not stop until it reached the island of Salamis. But as they sailed, Thermostosceles bade the captains of the Athenian fleets send some of their ships to the rocks where the Persians would search for water. On these rocks, Thermostosceles ordered to be cut in large letters these words, Ye do wrong, O Ionians, by going against your fathers and bringing Hellas into slavery. If ye can take our side, if ye cannot, then fight for neither. But if this also is impossible, at least in the battle be slack and lazy, remembering that ye are sprung from us, and that we are fighting in a quarrel which ye begun. By these words, Thermostosceles hoped to win the Ionians to his side, or if that might not be, he hoped at least to make Xerxes so suspicious of them that he would be afraid to let them take part in the battles which had yet to be fought. Chapter 49 Thermostosceles urges Eurybiades to stay at Salamis. After Xerxes had secured the pass of Thermopylae, a march of six days would bring him to Athens. There was no army in his way, for the Spartans and other tribes in Peloponnesus were now fortifying the Isthmus of Cornet so as to protect their cities from the foe. If the Athenians wished to save themselves, they would have to desert their city and seek refuge elsewhere, for it was impossible to hold Athens against the great army that was marching towards her. Yet even to save their lives, how hard it was to leave their homes, their temples, their gods. The oracle at Delphi was consulted and told them that, when all was lost, a wooden wall should still shelter the Athenians. Some there were who believed that the oracle meant that if Acropolis were fortified with timber, it would not be taken by the Persians, and these shut themselves up in the citadel and refused to leave the city. But Thermostosceles knew 
that the only way to save the people was to get them away from Athens, and he used all his eloquence to make them willingly go. When it seemed that he had failed, he tried another way. He began to work upon their superstitious fears. He told them that Athene, their own goddess, had already deserted the city, and taking with her her pet snake, had gone to the sea. He assured them that the walls of wood of which the oracle had spoken were the good ships that were at Salamis, waiting to defeat the Persians and put their fleet to flight. At length his words prevailed, and the old men, women, and children were sent to the island of Salamis, while the fighting men joined the fleet. In the confusion, many faithful animals were forgotten. These ran along the shore, while the ships carrying the fugitives sailed away. One faithful dog leaped into the water and followed his master's ship until it reached Salamis. But when he had dragged himself out of the water, the poor creature was so exhausted that he lay down on the shore and died. Meanwhile, Xerxes was marching towards Athens. On the way, he ordered a large company to break off to the west to seize Delphi and the sanctuary of the oracle, in which, as the king knew, vast treasures were kept. No Greek would have dared to rob the sacred temple. When the Delphinians heard that the Persians were approaching, they fled to Parnassus, leaving only sixty men and the priest to defend the sanctuary. They did not think that the treasures would be stolen, for the gods would protect their own. And as soon as the barbarians were close to the city, strange things are said to have taken place. The sacred arms, which none might touch, were mysteriously carried out and placed in front of the temple. The sky was ablaze with brilliant flashes of lightning while two great crags were wrenched from the heights of Mount Parnassus and fell with a loud crash upon the enemy. At the same time, from the temple of Athene, a shout as of a mighty warrior was heard. The barbarians were stricken with terror at these strange sights and sounds, and they fled, pursued, so they declared, by two Greeks, each taller and more fearful than any mortal they had ever seen. Xerxes had now reached Athens to find the city deserted, save for the few who had taken refuge in the citadel. These defended themselves bravely, 
and as it was difficult to scale the height on which the Acropolis stood, they were able, for a time, to keep the enemy at bay. But at length, the wooden defences, in which the people had put their trust, were set on fire by the burning brands of the enemy. At the same time, a band of Persian soldiers discovered a secret path on the north side of the citadel. Although it was steep, they at once began to climb, and before long, they reached the summit and entered the citadel. The defenders were slain, the temples were plundered and burned. As the Greek fleet lay in the narrow strait between Salamis and the Attic coast, the Athenians saw smoke and flames rising from the burning city. They were filled with grief as they gazed upon the destruction of their homes and temples, while their wrath burned hot against the destroyers. Thermostosceles and the Athenians wished to stay where they were to swaft the enemy, but the other admirals were anxious to sail to the Isthmus of Cornith, where they would be within reach of the Peloponnesian army. A council of war was called, at which Thermostosceles urged that they should stay where they were to fight and to conquer the Persian fleet. He reminded the other admirals that in the narrow strait of Salamis, the big and heavy ships of the Persians would have no room to move and would be captured without great difficulty. But no one agreed with the Athenian general, and the council broke up after having agreed that the fleet should sail to Isthmus of Corneth on the following day. Thermostosceles was so sure that it was a mistake to move that he went alone to Eurybiades and earnestly begged him not to withdraw. His gravity impressed the commander and he promised to recall the council to discuss the matter once more. No sooner had the admirals again assembled than Thermostosceles rose, without waiting until the council was open, and again explained the urgent reasons why the fleet should stay to fight. The Corinthian admiral was angry already, because the council had been reopened. He was angrier still as he listened to the words of Thermostosceles. At length he could keep silent no longer, and he interrupted the orator, saying in a harsh voice, Thermostosceles, at the games, they who start too soon are scourged. True, answered the Athenians, but they who loiter 
are not crowned. Even Eurybides lost his temper as Thermostosceles urged his wish more and more vehemently, and at length he raised his staff as though he would strike the persistent orator. Thermostosceles looked calmly at the admiral and said, Strike if you will, but at least hear me. His self-control pleased the Spartan commander. He let his army drop to his side and listened until Thermostosceles had ended his speech. But although Eurybiades said nothing, an officer began to taunt Thermostosceles, saying that he was the last man who should urge them to stay at Salamis, for he had now no city to defend, as Athens was in the hands of the barbarians. A base fellow art thou to use such a taunt, answered Thermostosceles. True it is that we have left our houses and our walls, for we will not endure to be made slaves for such things. But in these two hundred ships here ready to defend you all, we still possess the fairest city in Greece. Then turning to Eurybides, he said, By remaining here, thou wilt show thyself a brave man. By going away, thou wilt destroy all Hellas, for with the war on land, the Athenians have nothing more to do. If thou wilt not stay, we will sail away with our two hundred ships and build a city in the west, where the Persians will not trouble us. Then Eurybides grew afraid, for he knew that without the help of the Athenians, the Greeks need not hope to conquer the enemy. So he agreed to stay to fight at Salamis. Chapter 50 Thermostosceles Tricks the Admirals Eurybides had determined that the fleet should stay in Salamis, but the other admirals were dissatisfied. When great numbers of the Persian ships were sighted, and when at the same time Xerxes was seen marching with his vast land forces towards the shore, they were more than dissatisfied, they were afraid. So they called a secret council, at which they resolved to retreat to Corinth, as they had wished to do from the first. To settle the matter, they bade the pilots get ready to sail. Thermostosceles soon heard what had been done, but he was determined to thwart the plans of his adversaries. He would force them to fight in the narrow strait of Salamis. 
So he sent a message to the king of Persia, and pretending to be his friend, he warned him that the Greek fleet had determined to escape. If you wish to win a great victory, O king, ran the message, seize each end of the strait before the Greek fleet sails away. Xerxes was overjoyed when he heard that the Greeks wished to escape, for it seemed to him that they must be cowards whom it would be easy to beat. So while Thermostoceles called together a last council of war and did all that he could to delay the fleet, Xerxes was busy securing the strait as Thermostoceles had bidden him to do. The pilots were on board the Greek ships, impatient to sail. The admirals were listening to Thermostoceles with but scant courtesy when the message the Athenians were so anxiously awaiting arrived. Thermostoceles hastened from the council to find that it was Aristides, his old rival, who had brought the tidings that the Greek fleet was shut in by the Persian ships. Flight was no longer possible. Then Thermostoceles told Aristides the trick he had played on the Persian king, and how he had at the same time duped the other admirals. Whether Aristides approved or disapproved of what his old rival had done, he believed that it was well that the battle should be fought in the straits, and he determined to support Thermostoceles. He himself hastened to the council to tell the admirals that they were surrounded by the enemy. At first the admirals refused to believe such evil news. They did not guess the truth, but they came so near to it that they said Thermostoceles had probably started the rumour so as to delay the flight. While they still talked, some sailors who had deserted from the Persians brought the same tale. The Greek admirals were at last convinced that a battle was inevitable. Chapter 51 The Battle of Salamis On the morning of the battle, Xerxes ascended a golden throne which had been placed for him upon a rock that overlooked the sea. Around him sat scribes, ready to record the events of the battle. That they would all be to the honour of his fleet, Xerxes never doubted. Thermostoceles saw with pleasure that the wind was rising, making it difficult for the Persians to manage their unwieldy vessels. As he watched their efforts, 
he urged the Greeks to attack them once. The narrowness of the strait, as well as the force of the wind, added to the confusion of the enemy and made the number of its ships little use. Yet the Persians fought bravely, remembering that the eyes of the great king were upon them. One of the ships was commanded by a queen named Artemisia. She was fighting fiercely when her ship was attacked by an Athenian vessel at close quarters. Artemisia tried to escape, but as her ship sailed away, it was followed by the enemy. Straight in her path lay one of Xerxes' vessels. The queen did not try to avoid it, but pursuing her course, struck the ship so that her own countrymen, who were on board, were sent to the bottom. When the Athenian captain saw what the queen had done, he thought, as perhaps she meant him to do, that she had deserted her own side and was now fighting for the Greeks. So he turned back and followed her no more. From his golden throne, Xerxes too saw what Artemisia had done, and he supposed it was a Greek vessel that she had run down. In his delight he exclaimed, My men are become women, my women men. This was a hard thing to say of his soldiers, who were fighting gallantly for their king. Meantime, the Persian ships were driven into the narrow strait. Ship dashed against ship, till the Persian dead strewed the deep like flowers. When evening fell, two hundred Persian ships had been destroyed, and the Greeks had won the great sea battle of Salamis. The glory of the victory was due to Thermostosceles. There might indeed have been no battle at Salamis, had he not tricked both the Persian king and the Greek admirals. The Athenian was proud of his success, and he now determined by another crafty message to Xerxes to drive him out of Greece. But first he sent for Aristides, and to test his wisdom, he told him that he thought they should sail to Hellespont to destroy the bridge by which Xerxes had crossed into Europe and by which he could return to Asia. Rather than break down the bridge, answered Aristides, we should build another if by so doing we may hasten his departure. Now this was what Thermostosceles himself really wished, to hasten the king's retreat. So although he did not mean to destroy the bridge, he sent once again to Xerxes, and this is what he said. O king, 
the Greeks are hastening to Hellespont to destroy the bridge by which alone thou canst return to Asia. Hasten then to reach the bridge, while I delay the Greek fleet, lest evil overtake thee. Once more the king fell into the trap Thermostosceles had prepared for him, for he set out in haste with the main body of his army for the Hellespont, leaving Mardonius with a large force to carry on the war as well as he could. The march to the Hellespont was a terrible one, for Xerxes had himself laid waste to the land when he advanced upon Athens, and now there was neither food nor shelter for his army. The soldiers who were starving ate plants, grass, the bark of trees, anything to satisfy their hunger. In their weakness, they were attacked by plague, and hundreds perished long before the Hellespont was in sight. Even when at length the gleam of water gladdened the hearts of the soldiers, they were soon stricken again with fear, for where was the bridge? The Greeks had not outstripped them, so this was not their doing. A storm had destroyed the bridge. Weak and hungry as they were, the soldiers had to rebuild it before they could cross over to Asia, where food and shelter awaited them. When the Greeks saw that the Persians were marching to the Hellespont, they were eager to follow them, but Thermostosceles persuaded them to go back to Athens to rebuild the city. Then he sent yet another message to Xerxes, saying, Thermostosceles, the leader of the Athenians and the best and wisest of the Greeks, has out of good will to thee held back the allies from chasing thy ships and breaking up the bridge at the Hellespont. So go thy way in peace. Although Thermostosceles sent these proud words to the great king, he really believed it was wiser for the Greeks not to pursue the retreating army. But he also wished to make Xerxes his friend, so that if at any time he was ostracized by the Athenians, he would find a welcome at the Persian court. Greece was full of rejoicing when she heard of the victory of Salamis. The generals of the different states met at Cornith to propose a reward for the bravest and wisest among themselves. Each general wrote on a tablet the names of two whom he believed to be worthy of the prize. They were not very modest, these brave soldiers of Greece, for each general wrote his own name first, though nearly all added beneath the name of Thermostosceles. 
The Spartans gave their meed of honor to the great Athenian, for a crown of olive was placed upon his head, and he was presented with the most magnificent chariot that Sparta had ever produced. Aeschylus, one of the Greek poets, wrote a tragedy on the fall of Xerxes, called The Persians, which was acted in 472 BC, eight years after the Battle of Salamis. Sculptors too wrote statues to commemorate the war, which were placed in the temple of Athene. Athene.